Welcome to the Covenant People's Ministry. It is written that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. We invite you to study the scriptures with us, to learn about the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, the holy and anointed Lamb of God, the light of the world, the Savior of mankind. You can contact us with your questions and comments at covenantpeoplesministry.org or call us at 678-692-8870. You can also write to us at CPM Post Office Box 256, Brooks, Georgia, 30205. We look forward to hearing from you, and we pray that these messages of truth touch your lives. If you have been moved by these biblical teachings, please visit our forums online at covenantpeoplesministry.org and sign up to follow us on our YouTube channel, Covenant People. Thank you for joining us for another CPM broadcast. And now, here is our pastor, Jeremy Visser, with our next Bible study. Hello again, friends, and thank you for joining me. I'm Pastor Visser of CPM, and today we're going to take a look at the story of Bell and the Dragon. And this narrative is considered to be in addition to Daniel. And in the Protestant Bible, as we hold it in the 66 books, the story of Bell and the Dragon does not appear. But it does appear in the King James Version Apocrypha. And it is from that that we'll be studying the story of Bell and the Dragon. And much can be learned from this apocryphal story. Because truly, we live in an era where our people, unfortunately, worship idols. And they worship the kings of men more than they ought to. And that, my friends, is what the story of Bell and the Dragon is about. It's about two idols. One being Baal, or Baal, and the other, of course, being the dragon. And we know, according to the book of Revelation and elsewhere in Scripture, that another name for Satan is the dragon. And so also it stands with Baal, which is a derivative of many names that we find in Scripture, but ironically all that lead back to Satan. So whether we're discussing Baal Peor, or Baal Zebub. Baal is a polite way, at least in Hebrew, of saying Lord. And there's a whole nother study involved in that when we get to the sacred name of Yahweh within the King James Version of the Bible and see that it has been replaced countless times with the terminology of Lord, which ironically in Hebrew again means Baal. But we're not going to look at that aspect. What we're going to look at today is the story or the narrative of Baal and the dragon. And we're going to ask ourselves as we go through this, why would it be that they would chop this from the canonized Bible? So, without further ado, in the Goodspeed translation, beginning in verse 1, in the story or the book of Baal and the dragon, When King Astages was gathered to his fathers, Cyrus the Persian succeeded to his kingdom, and Daniel was a companion of the king, and was distinguished above all his other friends. Now, Daniel had numerous friends. In fact, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were three of them. 
And perhaps you know this account from the book of Daniel, where the story of Bell and the dragon was taken from and out of. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were like Daniel. They would refuse to worship men, and they would refuse to bow to an idol of men. And as a result, they were thrown within the fiery furnace. And so the third of three additions to the book of Daniel to be found within the Apocrypha is the prayer of the three children, or the prayer of these three same friends of Daniel. Daniel was more distinguished than Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And because he was more distinguished than many other Israelites, he was a friend to Cyrus the Persian, who succeeded King Astages when he died. What we're dealing with here is Babylon of old, and so it stands for us. We can learn much from the story of Bell and the Dragon because we live in a rebuilt Babylon. And you will see, oftentimes, men want you to revere them like a god, or they want you to bow to their false idol. And that is why the terminology Bell is so important. Because if Bell means Baal, and Baal is just saying Lord, then anything that we spend more time with than Yahweh God can become an idol to us. We also are Baal worshippers. And many of the men and women that go to Judeo-Christian churches happen to listen to Baal priests. Official priests under the king who will lie and tell the people what they want to hear. It's no different in this account. So Daniel was a companion of the king. And this aligns with the book of Daniel. He was distinguished above all his other friends. Continuing the narrative. Now, the Babylonians had an idol called Bel. And every day they bestowed upon it twelve bushels of fine flour and forty sheep and fifty gallons of wine. And the king revered it and went every day to worship it. But Daniel worshipped his own god. So notice that this narrative of Bell and the Dragon differentiates the two. The king, who in this account is Cyrus the Persian, revered an idol called Bell. They had a large statue for this idol. He was known as Bel. And even though the king and the Baal priests had no problem coming in and lying and saying, this is a living God, at the end of the day, what they were worshipping was an idol. In fact, verse 4 here in the story of Bel and the dragon reminds us that the king revered it and went every day to worship it. Giving an idol the reverence due Yahweh. But Cyrus would not hearken, right? Cyrus was just a man of the world, a man of Babylon, a king, and a ruler of our people. While we happened to be in a form of dysphoria, while we were taken away to Babylon, well, we had this type of king ruling over us. One who could not differentiate between the living and the dead, a living God or a dead God. But because there was a great temple, and because there was a statue... And because, well, obviously, all of this food, these 12 bushels of fine flour and 40 sheep and 50 gallons of wine were being consumed every night, well, the king, in addition to a majority of the people in Babylon, were dumbfounded. And as a result, they would worship Baal, believing that Baal was a living god. 
And we learn that Daniel worshipped his own God. Continuing the verse, And the king said to him, Why do you not worship Bel? And he, Daniel, said, Because I do not revere artificial idols, but the living God, who created heaven and earth and is sovereign over all mankind. Now, we should have the same exact mindset as Daniel, not worrying if it will get us in trouble. And remember, Daniel was a friend to the king, the king's companion, quote-unquote. But he was not above telling the king the truth, even though he knew this could mean a death sentence against him. Even though, in the book of Daniel, it led to him being thrown within the fiery furnace, meaning that he would not worship Nebuchadnezzar, he would not worship a statue of Cyrus, and he would not worship a statue of Astages. And most assuredly would not worship Bel, nor the other icon that they worshipped in Babylon, being the dragon. And what's interesting about both of these idols is at the end of the day they come back to devil or demon worship. Death worship, my friend. And we live in that type of era. Where people go and they watch murder on the big screen and they consider it entertainment. And they really do not understand that there's anything wrong with that. They do not understand that what we consider the norm under Babylonian rule is perverted in the eyes of God. Daniel's response is, I don't revere artificial idols and we should not either. And an idol is anything we spend more time with than Yahweh God. Could be a job, could be a car, could be our own family, even time. But if we do not put the living God who created heaven and earth and the same Yahweh who is sovereign over all mankind, if we don't put him first, then we by default are worshiping Baal. And that is something I want you to understand. While the unbelieving world will come in and say, I don't believe in God, (laughs) they invent a God of their own liking, whatever it is. It is something that is considered an idol to Yahweh God. And usually, nine times out of ten, an abomination. But it is a God, my friend. And that's why the second commandment forbids the worship of graven images. So, verse 6 says, The king said unto him, Do you not think that Bel is a living God? Do you not see how much he eats and drinks every day? Notice the king is asking Daniel, Don't you believe your own eyes? My own eyes, says the king, knows that this idol, this statue made of clay, is eating all of this food. Because after all, well, it's gone every morning, right? So the king asked Daniel, don't you think Bel is a living God? Don't you see how much he eats and drinks? Verse 7, and Daniel laughed and said, do not be deceived, O king, for it is only clay inside and bronze outside and never ate nor drank anything. And thus is the way of an idol. An idol is something that is not living, but draws us away from God, and oftentimes is worshipped in place of God, like Bel or the dragon. And this month I have been preaching on the reality of Satan and angels, and proving how the devil, even when he tempted Yahshua, did so under the illusion of free choice, wanting the homage that was due God. Because the devil cannot make you sin, my friend, no more than this king could make Daniel worship an idol. 
Very important to understand, Daniel recognized the difference between the two and kept his priorities straight. The king even says, don't you think Bell is a living God? And Daniel's response is, don't be deceived. It's only clay and bronze. It never ate nor drank anything. What happens? Verse 8. Then the king was angry and called Baal's priests and said to them, stopping right there before we get to what the king says to the Baal priests, understand that there are Baal priests. It is the way of man to erect an icon or a graven image and give it the homage that is due Yahweh God. And at the same time, they will erect their own priests. And they are usually found within politics in the temples of the kings whether it's the Herodians, whether it is Pilate, or whether it is this story of Bel and the dragon which happened in ancient Babylon under Cyrus the Persian. Cyrus was a Persian and he calls his own people because he was angry. And he calls Baal's priests. So don't be surprised here in America that a majority of what is considered Judeo-Christian churches are nothing but Baal pits filled with Baal priests who will come in and lie and say their God is a living God when all along he is a dead God. God is not there. God does not dwell in a house or a building. But it does not stop the facade. It does not stop crooked men or Baal priests from coming in and making a living and increasing on deception. Deception. So verse 8 reminds us, the king was angry and called Baal's priests and said to them, If you cannot tell me who it is that eats up these provisions, you shall die. But if you can show me that Baal eats them, Daniel shall die, because he has uttered blasphemy against Baal. So notice that the king believed Baal was a living God. He believed what he saw with his eyes because for all intents and purposes, he was a natural man. Daniel was a spiritual man, and Daniel understood that graven images are forbidden. That the first commandment is that we should love Yahweh God with all our heart, all our mind, and all our soul. And because the king was angry, and because he was standing before Baal's priest, he said, Daniel will die because he has uttered a blasphemy against Baal. Meaning, the king wants an answer. Who is eating these provisions? Because this man, my friend Daniel is telling me that this is nothing but an idol. That you guys are tricking me and engaging within deceit. And, verse 9 continues, And Daniel said to the king, It shall be as you say. Next verse. Now the priests of Bel were seventy in number, beside their wives and children. So the king went with Daniel to the temple of Bel. And the priests of Bel said, See, we will go outside, and you, O king, must put the food on the table, and mix the wine, and put it on, and shut the door, and seal it with your signet. And when you come back in the morning, if you do not find that it is all eaten up by Bell, we will die, or Daniel will, who is making these false charges against us. Now notice, the Baal priests are saying Daniel is bearing false witness, and they, like in the story of Susanna, were put in positions of authority over the Israelite people. Not by God, per se, but by the king, the king of Babylon, or we could just say, the king of confusion. And in Babylon, 
Daniel is being called a false witness by the Baal priest. And, for sake of argument, in the mind of the king, who regards not God nor man, the Baal priest charge probably carried more water than Daniel's. Because, after all, this is 70 against 1, right? 70 against 1. And they say, well, we want you, King Cyrus, to go in there, put the offering in there, and seal the door with a signet. And we guarantee you that when you come back in the morning, all the food will be gone. How much? Well, we already covered that. Every day they bestowed upon Bell 12 bushels of fine flour, 40 sheep, and 50 gallons of wine. Quite an offering, right? Yahweh God requires nothing compared to that. But a fraction, more so obedience, and that's what Daniel was doing. But they already knew they were engaging in trickery, and even though they knew that they were setting the king up, they said Daniel was bearing false witness. Meaning Daniel would, by sake of argument for this narrative, at this point, appear to be in hot water. The Baal priests say Daniel will be put to death because he's making these false charges against us. Verse 13, For they scorned him because they had made a secret entrance under the table, and through it they used to go in regularly and devour the offerings. So, the Baal priests' modus operandi is to fool the people into thinking that their icon or their idol or their statue is a living god. And all the while, they themselves, all 70 Baal priests, their wives and their children, were profiting on that. Now, does it make sense as to why Judeo-Christianity hides behind their Baal priests? It is profitable for them, even though they know at the end of the day it leads you back to worshiping Baal. This text confirms it. They scorn Daniel... And the reason they said to the king, put food on the table, mix the wine, and shut the door, and put your own signet on it, was because they had made a secret entrance under the table to get within the temple and to devour the offerings, meaning that they were living high upon the hog, my friends. But it did not stop them from saying Daniel was lying when they knew that they were lying. Very important to understand. Because oftentimes, under a corrupt government, you will find yourself in the same situation. They'll come in and say, you're immoral. You're bearing false witness when you tell them the truth. The truth that is codified within our living word and or these apocryphal books, like we're covering today, the story of Bell and the Dragon. What else? Well, verse 14. So it happened that when they had gone, the king put the food for Bell on the table. Then Daniel ordered his servants to bring ashes, and they scattered them over the whole temple in the presence of the king alone. Then they went out and shut the door and sealed it with the king's signet and went away. And the priests came in that night, as usual, with their wives and their children and ate and drank it all up. Now, this narrative is straightforward. And what it shows you is the difference between a graven image and Yahweh God, who truly is living. But oftentimes, unjust men can make a living out of giving the illusion that their idol is a living God. So because Daniel was the most distinguished, and he was a friend to King Cyrus, 
after the Baal priests left, he said, we're going to scatter some ashes down here. So you can see who's eating the food. And the Baal priests did not know that. It was unbeknownst to them. And so, they come that evening, they crawl through their secret door under the table, they devour all of the food, the wine, the flour, and the sheep that was put out, right? But they don't know that there is a slight film of ashes on the floor, which, my friends, is a dead giveaway. You'll be able to see people's footprints, right? So... Daniel ordered his servants to bring ashes, and they scattered them over the whole temple in the presence of the king alone. Meaning, Daniel, his servants, and the king were setting the priests up. But the priests were setting up Daniel for a death sentence. And living very, very well off of Baal, their idol. What happens? Next verse. And the king rose early the next morning, and Daniel came with him. And the king said, Are the seals unbroken, Daniel? And Daniel said, They are unbroken, O king. And as soon as he opened the doors, the king looked at the table and shouted loudly, You are great, O Bell. There is no deception at all about you. But Daniel laughed and held the king back from going in and said to him, Look at the floor and observe whose footprints these are. And the king said, I see the footprints of men, women, and children. So the first instinct of the king upon opening the door, which he put his signet upon, was to see that the food, the very food he placed upon the table, the offering unto a graven image and or an idol, was gone. And his response was, You are great, O Bell, there is no deception about you. But was Cyrus being deceived? Indeed he was by his own Baal priests, because the priests were accustomed to trickery, deception. And you need to understand that, my friend. There is no new thing under the sun. This still goes on in America and Europe today. They have a vested interest in their idol and procuring, securing that idol, because at the end of the day, literally, in the case of the story of Bell and the Dragon, It profits them. They take and live off the sacrifices that are made unto their dead God. So the king said, I see the footprints of men, women, and children, not the footprints of a huge bell statue. Right? Verse 21. Then the king was enraged, and he seized the priests and their wives and the children, and they showed him the secret doors by which they got in and devoured what was on the table. So the king killed them, and he turned Bel over to Daniel, and he destroyed it and his temple. Who? Daniel. Daniel destroyed the temple of Baal, and because Daniel had common sense, something that the Baal priest did not, he was able to vindicate himself. Yahweh vindicated Daniel. But the king was enraged. He was upset because he realized he had been fooled. And this is a natural emotion, my friend. We should be upset when we realize those around us, even with good intentions, are misleading us. Especially when it leads back to the worship of an idol, which can enrage Yahweh God against us. But rather, the king was enraged, and he seized the priests, their wives, and their children, and He killed all the priests. And not only that, he delivered Baal and the temple to Daniel. And Daniel was so renowned 
and so righteous. What did he do? He destroyed the statue of Bel, and he raised or destroyed the temple. So Daniel overcame Satan, Baal, an icon of men. Daniel overcame his particular world order. And Daniel was unlike a majority of us, perhaps Nicodemus, but unlike us, Daniel was able to actually walk the thin line between men's politics and serving Yahweh God. And the text, even the book of Daniel, but the story of Susanna, the prayer of the three children, and the history of Bell and the dragon confirm why Daniel remained steadfast and because he put all his faith and cast all his fears on Yahweh God. Yahweh God would time and time again deliver Daniel. Thank you for listening to the Covenant People's Ministry broadcast. If you have enjoyed hearing the message of the gospel and would like to be a part of our fellowship, be sure to write to us at CPM Post Office Box 256 Brooks, Georgia 30205. You can also visit us on the web at covenantpeoplesministry.org where you will find direct access to our extensive selection of audio sermons. You can also listen to Pastor Visser by Godcast on your mobile audio devices. Our sermons and videos are made possible by your tithes and offerings. If you wish to support this ministry, please make your checks or money orders payable to Covenant People's Ministry or use the donate button on our website to use PayPal. Remember that Jesus Christ is our all, so we hope that you will allow him to lead your life. We urge you to be a living example of Christian faith and apply his words to your lives. It has been a pleasure to have you with us, and now we will return to Pastor Visser's Bible study message. Yahweh God would time and time again deliver Daniel. Daniel from the lion's den, Daniel from the fiery furnace, Daniel from a death sentence right here in the temple of Baal. And he turned it all for good. And the Baal priests got put to death, rightfully so, because they were deceiving and bearing false witness, and all the while going behind the facade of being religious. So do not be deceived by men, my friends. Do not be deceived. The king killed the Baal priests, and he turned Baal over to Daniel, and he destroyed it and his temple. Notice, at least here in the Edgar J. Goodspeed translation of the Bible, he uses the term it. Up until this point, 20 some odd verses, we are told that Baal was a living god by King Cyrus. They believed Baal was a living god, and in the end he was destroyed as in it. Very appropriate. Because no matter how much men try to make the unnatural natural, at the end of the day, it's still an it. And so it stands for any freak of nature. But Bel was not the only icon and idol that they worshipped in Babylon. Another would be the dragon. And thus it is the story of Bel and the dragon. We concluded the story of Bel, and the Bel priests got their due comeuppance. But time and time again, when you overcome one obstacle, it is the way of man to pull you onto another graven image. Just when you feel you have the victory and your God has proven to the world that he is real because you're vindicated as Daniel was in the case of Bell, 
Well, the way of the world is to pull you on to another icon because they're that retarded, my friend. Literally, they work backwards. We grow in wisdom within the spirit and within the world, and they actually unlearn everything it is so that when a majority of the godless world reach their 70s and their 80s, they can't even spell. They have turned completely retarded. And that is exactly what happens. So right after King Cyrus gives Bell over to Daniel, and Daniel destroyed Bel and his temple, and all the priests were put to death. We learn in verse 23 of the story of Bel and the dragon. Now there was a great serpent in that place, and the Babylonians worshipped it. And the king said to Daniel, You cannot deny that it is a living God, so worship it. And Daniel said, I will worship Yahweh my God, for he is a living God. But with your permission, O king, I will kill this serpent without sword or stick. And the king said, you have my permission. Now I'm going to interject a little speculation right here in the narrative. It is most likely that the king gave Daniel permission to do this, even believing that the serpent or the dragon was a living God because Daniel was proven correct in the first place when it came in regards of Baal. But that's just a side point. Right after the Baal priests were put to death by the king himself, and Baal's temple was raised, well, then the king says, surely you won't deny this other god, this other lowercase dragon, in the form of a serpent, like Revelation says. In short, surely you won't deny that the devil is a god, a living god, And, my friends, I have proven this month that the devil wants to be revered as a living God. It is the book of Ezekiel that says, even in the Garden of Eden, he wanted to exalt his throne above the stars of God so that he, as a God, sits in the temple of God. And Daniel wrote about that. The abomination of desolation in our own canonized King James Version of the Bible, sitting where it ought not so that he is revered in place of God, Well, Daniel would know, would he not? And that is why the story of Bell and the Dragon is important. Because without these two narratives, without understanding, Daniel overcame Baal, which is technically just the worldly version of Satan, right? An icon. But the dragon himself, the very heart of the matter, the head of the snake, is why Daniel was so revered and why he was able to overcome. And it didn't stop there. Understand that. First Baal, then the dragon, and then what? Ultimately, Nebuchadnezzar comes in and says, I'm going to build a great statue, and Daniel needs to worship it under penalty of death. However, this time, they worship the dragon. And the dragon is a polite way of saying a worm or a serpent. And the king says, surely you're not going to deny this is a living God. And Daniel says, I'll kill this serpent without a sword or a stick. And the king said, most likely... Because Daniel had just destroyed Baal. You have my permission. Verse 27. And Daniel took pitch, fat, and hair, and boiled them together, and made lumps of them. And he put them into the serpent's mouth. And it ate them and burst open, and he said, See the objects of your worship. Now notice the narrative doesn't say that the serpent came to life and ate them. 
but that there most assuredly was an icon or an idol, an ensign, in which all the Babylonians, including the Judeans that were taken away to Babylon, whom Daniel was, revered the serpent as a living God. But it was just a statue. And so Daniel took pitch, fat, hair, boiled them together, made lumps, and he put them in the serpent's mouth and it burst open. Why? Because it was an idol. It was made out of the same exact thing that Bell was. What was Bell? Well, Daniel told him what Bell was, at least comprised of. He said, Do not be deceived, O king. In verse 7, It is only clay inside and bronze outside, and never ate or drank anything. Thus they have a statue of the serpent, and to this day, our enemy still worship the serpent in one degree or another. Oftentimes it's open. It's the dragon incarnate. It's Lucifer, Satan himself. And other times it's a literal dragon, or it could just be a snake, as you see in the Middle East. But if you boil anything and apply heat to clay that is already kilned, it's going to what? It's going to burst. And Daniel did that. He proved by taking pitch, fat, and hair and boiling them together, making lumps, and putting it within the serpent's mouth or the statue's mouth, that it burst open. And then he says, see the objects of your worship? Verse 28, when the Babylonians heard it, they were very indignant and made a conspiracy against the king, saying, the king has become a Judean. He has overturned Baal and killed the serpent and slaughtered the priests. So there is a great victory over the Babylonians. And the Babylonians, at least the Baal priests, come in and they gave the illusion that they were worshipping a living God. And most likely said all gods are one. But Daniel overcame because he was a friend of King Cyrus. And therefore the people of Babylon, the enemy themselves, started groaning against their Babylonian king. And they started saying, well, the king has become likened unto a Judean. He's overturned Baal, he's killed the serpent, and he's slaughtered the priests. All of those were righteous acts, at least in the eyes of God. But in the eyes of the liberal, and the eyes of the confused, in short, the Babylonians, it's a horrible thing. So they make conspiracy against the king, knowing that they can get to Daniel in the process. Verse 29. So they went to the king and said, Give Daniel up to us, or else we will kill you and your household. Ha! Huh. Interesting, is it not? Everything was good for them as long as they were sucking from the cheat of the government, the king himself. As long as the king was coming into the temple of Baal and allowing them to give 12 bushels of fine flour, 40 sheep and 50 gallons of wine, well, everything was fine. But as soon as they got cut off from their unjust enrichment, as soon as those priests were put to death, suddenly the Babylonians said, give us Daniel or we're going to kill you and your entire household. They threaten the king's family. Something that here in America will land you in a federal penitentiary if you threaten your president or your king in this manner. But what it shows you, this narrative, is how loyal these people are to one another. And at the end of the day, if you question a bail priest, they're going to throw you out of their bail pit also known as a Judeo-Christian church. They're going to throw you out. And you're going to really suddenly see how much they have the love of Christ. Because at the end of the day, they bank on your state of confusion. Confusion meaning babble. When you go to their churches, their pits, what do they say? They babble on and on and on. 
to Babylon, but never get to a single point. Daniel understood the difference. And all the while, they point the finger at their icon, say, this is God, and Daniel is a liar. Right? Do you think they don't still do that for his genuine prophets today? Indeed, they do. So, the Babylonians come and they threaten to blackmail the king. They say, if you don't give us Daniel, we're going to kill you and your daughters and your wife and your entire household. Verse 30. And the king saw that they were pressing him hard, and he was forced to give Daniel up to them. And they threw him into the lion's den. And he remained there six days. There were seven lions in the den, and they had been given two human bodies and two sheep every day. But now these were not given to them, so that they might devour Daniel. Now this ties right into the book of Daniel, and the narrative as we know it. But there is a variation here that's not found within the book of Daniel. And that is the fact that the lions within the lion's den were fed human cadavers daily. Every day they had been given two human bodies and two sheep. Meaning that all the lions within the lion's den were kept in a perpetual state of blood lust. And they would throw carcasses. They would most likely throw the faithful believers down into the lion's den. And history's proven this. We don't have time to go into the Roman Colosseums and the fact that many times, the papacy even, but those that go after world mysteries and Babylonian religions have no problem feeding Christians to the lions, as the king Nebuchadnezzar did for Daniel. And that's what we're looking at right here. They were pressing him hard. And for this reason, according to this book, the king consented to throw Daniel within the lion's den. And we are informed that the lions were accustomed to eating humans. So that there was a guarantee. No one survived the lion's pit. That's the point right here, my friend. And it doesn't look good for Daniel once again. Even though he overcame. Even though Yahweh showed him. Notice that. The king never had an epiphany. He didn't come in and say, well, Daniel's right. Let's worship Yahweh, his God. Once Bel was defeated, he said, well, truly the serpent is a living God. And Daniel blew that one up. And then the Babylonians come in and they pressure the king. So the king says, all right, we're going to throw him in the lion's den. Now, in my estimation, the reason that the story of Bell and the Dragon was chopped from our canon, at least in the Protestant Bible, is because it ties Habakkuk, a prophet of Babylon, into it. It is Habakkuk who is carried by an angel to the lion's pit to give Daniel the food and to shut the lion's mouth, whereas the book of Daniel says an angel of the Lord. But being that angel merely means messenger, Habakkuk could have been the messenger that was sent by Yahweh God. So let's conclude the narrative as we pick it back up in verse 33. Now the prophet Habakkuk was in Judea, and he had cooked his stew and crumbled bread into a bowl, and was going into the field to carry it to the reapers, when the angel of the Lord said to Habakkuk, Carry the dinner that you have to Babylon, to Daniel in the lion's den. Stopping right there. Habakkuk, in line with our minor prophets, was in Judea. However, he was cooking a meal, and he was going to go out, to the reapers, those that were harvesting within the field. 
And an angel of the Lord comes to the minor prophet Habakkuk and says, Carry the dinner you have all the way to Babylon. Quite a distance, right? Very far from Judea, even though Judeans were carried away. So what we can learn is they were in close proximity, number one. And number two, Babylon also is a state of mind. Habakkuk was in Judea. Daniel should have been in Judea, thus Babylon could have been in Judea. It was the reign of who? Cyrus the Persian. Having a non-covenant person rule over us is going away to Babylon. And it can be in the land of Judea. What happens? Verse 35 says, Habakkuk said, Sir, I've never seen Babylon, and I do not know the den. Then the angel of the Lord took hold on the crown of his head and lifted him up by his hair, and with the speed of the wind set him down in Babylon, right over the den. Now notice, this angel could not have been a mere man, according to the story of Bell and the dragon. And in that I mean... Habakkuk's reply to the angel is, I've never seen Babylon. I don't know where it is, de facto, where Babylon is. And instantly, he was taken up and carried. So this angel likely had wings. And thus, the book of Daniel confirms that angels have wings. Now, that's a study for another day. But the angel of the Lord took hold on the crown of his head, lifted him up by his hair, and with the speed of the wind sent him down in Babylon. Instantly, something a man cannot do. What happens? Habakkuk shouted, Daniel, Daniel, take the dinner which God has sent you. And Daniel, or Daniel, said, You have remembered me, O God, and have not forsaken those who love you. Then Daniel arose and ate, and the angel of God immediately put Habakkuk back into his own place again. From Babylon to Judea, it was Habakkuk, the minor prophet, that was chosen and taken and set over the very lion's den to give Daniel the food. Now remember, Daniel was thrown in the lion's den. And for all intents and purposes, he was meant to be eaten by the lions, but he was put in there how long? Well, the narrative says six days they threw him into the lion's den. That's verse 31 in the history of Bell and the Dragon. So, naturally, because Daniel was not eaten by the lions, as the book of Daniel says, he was hungered. And Habakkuk was carried by an angel of the Lord. And Habakkuk gave him food. And Daniel's response is much in the same manner as the prayer of the three children. Give glory to Yahweh God in all things. He says, You have remembered me, O Yahweh, and have not forsaken those who love you. And that is the point. Yahweh God will not forsake those that love him. So do not turn from Yahweh God. Daniel did not. And to him it was accounted as righteousness. Now what would have happened if Daniel would have said, Fine, we're going to make a little compromise here. And we're going to allow Bel to be considered a living God when he is not. Do you think Yahweh God would have protected him? How about this? Had Daniel not blown up the serpent, but rather went in there the second time and said, well, damn, Yahweh God just delivered me from Bel, and now the king wants me to give homage to the dragon. I better go ahead and compromise a little bit. No, because Daniel was uncompromising. Yahweh God delivered him. Yahweh God not only delivered from the lions, which was a form of capital punishment in Babylon. 
but fed and cared for Daniel, sent him a minister in the form of Habakkuk, companionship, fellowship, and the word, but also food, just as Yahshua said, consider the sparrows. Daniel cast all his cares on Yahweh God, and he was rewarded, according to this narrative. Verse 38 says, You have remembered me, O God, Daniel speaking, and not forsaken those who love you. Then Daniel arose and ate, and the angel of God immediately put Habakkuk back into his own place again. On the seventh day, the king came to mourn for Daniel, and he came to the den and looked in, and there sat Daniel. Then the king shouted loudly, You are great, Lord God, or Yahweh God of Daniel, and there is none other beside you. And he lifted him out, and the men who had tried to bring about his destruction, he threw into the den, and they were instantly devoured before his eyes. Who? King Cyrus and Daniel himself. Now, Daniel spent a week in the gulag, proverbially, and Daniel was delivered from that. And in the end, just like in the case of Job, Susanna, and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, he was justified. He was delivered. But it required on the part of Daniel faith. And on the seventh day, the king even came to mourn for Daniel. Now, in my opinion, that is why they chopped this out of the book of Daniel, because it proves our perseverance and our obedience can overcome any idol. And it also proves that oftentimes the kings of men have the drab habit of worshiping idols and expecting everyone else around them to do so, even under penalty of death. But Daniel was victorious. Daniel teaches God does not forsake those that love him. Daniel didn't love Baal. Daniel didn't love the dragon. And even while he was in that pit of lions, he never turned and cursed God, which is the story of Job, and also the story of the song of the three children, also known as the prayer of the three children, which is the third and final addition to the book of Daniel to be found within the King James Apocrypha. And we'll be covering it most likely in two parts very shortly. But when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were thrown within that fiery furnace, according to the Apocrypha, they would say, sing praise to him and greatly exalt him forever. Thank him for the fire, the heat, the cold, the warmth, the dews, the snows, the nights, the days, light, darkness, ice, cold, frost, snows, lightnings, and clouds. Sing praise to him and greatly exalt him forever. So Daniel and his companions were righteous under an unrighteous and a corrupt government. And notice, just like the New Testament teaches us, they had no obligation under a corrupt government. Daniel went along to get along, but never violated the law of God. He would even say to the king, be it according to your will, consenting unto the king of his time, because he had faith enough to know that Yahweh God the God of the Israelites, our Father, brothers and sisters, would deliver him. And so it stands for each and every one of us. I pray that this study into the Apocrypha, like the one before it in the study of Susanna, will edify your Christian walk and perhaps teach you a few things. If you take anything from the story of Bell and the Dragon, it is this. Do not bow to the devil, ever. Jesus Christ did not do it, and no matter what form he's in, whether it's a lowercase lord or bell, or the dragon himself de facto, 
Do not bow to him. And if you do not bow to man's graven image, Yahweh God will reward you amply. And thus is the story of Bell and the dragon. There's no sin in being friends with world rulers, a police officer or a mayor as a friend. The sin commences when we allow them to turn our hearts unto serving another god. And that is the main theme of the book of Bell and the Dragon. While the king of Babylon worshipped both, Daniel worshipped only Yahweh God. And because Daniel had the faith like Susanna did, to cast all his faith into Yahweh God, knowing that in the end he would be justified, in the end he was justified. And that is what we can learn from. No matter what happens in life, my friends, if the whole world turns against you, never turn against your God and never bow to a graven image. And therefore, I'd like to say once again, this is Pastor Visser from Brooks, Georgia, wanting to thank the few men and women that have sent support to this ministry. Your donations and support is greatly appreciated and so desperately needed. So I do thank the few of you who have supported this ministry, enabling us to truly reach the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Until next time, this is Pastor Visser from Covenant People's Ministry and Outreach, located in beautiful downtown Brooks, Georgia, wishing you and yours great studies, war for Christ. Amen. Covenant People's Ministry. Thank you for listening to this message. We hope that you have enjoyed studying with us. Remember the words that Christ has given, that wherever two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst of them. We hope that you will gather together with us at the online ministry's website, which is covenantpeoplesministry.org, and share your Christian testimonies, or ask questions, and enjoy biblical fellowship. You can also order CDs of Pastor Visser's Bible study lessons and enjoy many other Christian resources through the church's website. If you would like to write to us, send your comments and queries to Covenant People's Ministry, Post Office Box 256, Brooks, Georgia 30205, or reach us by telephone at 678-692-8870. We thank you for your prayers and offerings. And we pray that all of you have been touched by these messages and continue to share the words of the gospel with your friends and family. Thanks again, and may the love of Christ abide in you and yours forever and ever. Amen.